One of the fun things about a new year is looking forward, looking forward to things that are coming up. Uh, one of the things we're doing right now in our family is um, planning a trip in April with my wife's parents to Disneyland. And it's been a, been a long time. Adrian, uh, Anna was six months old last time we were there, but we used to go there years ago uh, a lot. And one of the things we always noticed was something is always under construction. There's always some attraction that is not working at the time because they're refurbishing it. Uh, right now, we found out that uh, Splash Mountain, when we go there in April, will be closed. They're changing it from the Br'er Rabbit thing, the Song of the, I think, eliminating the Song of the South stuff, and bringing in uh, Tiana into it. So we won't get to go on Splash Mountain, which does not bother my wife at all. She's very happy about that. But, you know, there's, there's some things that are annoying about that, and there's other issues we could talk about with Disney, but... There's a reason that people keep coming back to Disneyland. There's a reason that it's, you know, one of the, the great attractions that people are constantly wanting to go to. It never feels outdated, does it? It never is falling apart. Everything is, you never see even, you know, trash on the ground or gum <laughs> under a, a bench. It's, it's beautifully kept and constantly taken care of, constantly under construction. There's a big difference between being under construction, always under construction, and letting something just fade away and fall apart and settling. And really, something I've found about people that I really admire is that they consider themselves always under construction. You know, the people that I most admire, the people that I think someday... I'll have it together like that guy, or like that sister. They're the ones that are constantly saying, yeah, this is something I need to work on, and I've been, I've been identifying this year the things I need to grow on, and man, do I have a lot. And I'm like, oh, you got a lot. Man, do I have a lot to work on. But that's also a characteristic not only of a healthy company or a healthy person, but also of a healthy church. Healthy church is always under construction, always building, always identifying. Where do we need to grow? Where are we not maximizing our fruitfulness to the Lord? Where, how can we glorify God more? And that is, I got to tell you, I've been here for eight years. I think that is in the DNA of this congregation. It is something that I, I've just, one of, one of the things that we loved and one of the reasons that we wanted to come here, there is a sense of we're not where we need to be. We're striving. We do not think we're perfect. We do not think we have it all together. And that's right. Because those churches that get satisfied and settle in are the ones that start to fray. So it is important to recognize what is good and what is working, but also to keep striving and pushing forward. I got to tell you, this is not how it is in every church. I have been to a lot of places where 
good enough is good enough. Max Dawson wrote in a book I read years ago about this, what he called an addiction to mediocrity in the church. How he's a, a brother in Christ who, who looked around and said, while some brethren may settle for good enough, where would we go to scripture to find that good enough pleases God? Search the 66 books and you will find that God was never happy when his people settled for mediocrity in serving him. It is time that we restored the spirit of excellence that characterized so many of God's faithful servants in the Bible. And it is to just such a collection of faithful servants we want to turn this morning. As we think about who we are, I think there's, it's important to keep coming back to a discussion about purpose and identity. And January is always a good time to do that. From a study of the scriptures, our our elders years ago, uh, identified a mission statement for us. They said, we are God's family of obedient believers. And then they identified these three tasks that are at the heart of our mission. Growing together in love and knowledge, reaching out with Christ's message of salvation, and reflecting God's grace in our lives to those around us. This is at at the core of who we are. Um, I I read a quote years ago that said, as burning makes fire fire, so mission makes the church the church. We are missional. We are driven by a commission that Christ gave us. We have a job. We have a reason for existence that is given with a divine mandate. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or as Paul says it in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, we need to build up the body. That's our job. Each part supplying what is lacking. Every single member building the body. And if you look, you can pay attention and find this year's theme in this mission. Reaching out with Christ's message of salvation and reflecting God's grace in our lives to those around us. It's easy to turn inward. And we have a lot of work to do with just the people that are in this room right now, with just the members of this church. And that's part of building up the body. But at our core, we are trying to build by bringing this saving message to everybody that needs it, to everybody that doesn't have it. It's been said that the church is the one organization in the world whose mission is to serve those who aren't members. And so our our theme, as has been stated, is to sound forth the word. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 1.8, where Paul praised the Thessalonians, saying, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, and your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. 
I heard that I wasn't in the Acts class this morning. We were talking about how to sound forth the word in, uh, in, in preaching back in the back classroom. But I heard that Rick really covered thought through with you guys in the Acts class what it means to sound forth the word and how the whole book of Acts is about sounding forth the word. And we might hear that and think megaphone, just blasting it out. And indeed, proclaiming and sending out the message, just scattering the seed out there, whether through our, our web broadcasts or through whatever publications we put out there, that's part of it. But so much, many, most of us, I think, have been taught and converted and heard the word through those one-on-one -on -one interactions. So when you think of sound forth the word, this sound wave up here is not meant to just be a blast from an audio file, but your conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations with your brother, but especially those with those who don't know Christ. And so we're going to spend a lot of time this year trying to equip you, trying to help you think through what are the obstacles we face how do we make sure that we're able to do this work together, building up the body in this way? And so we're beginning this year, as we have a lot of years, with this study of Nehemiah, Arise and Build. This, for a long time, generally has been a practice of this congregation uh, to start the year in January by looking at these principles, this amazing case study that God gives us on how to build together with God. And I have to confess to you, I got away from this the last couple years, and I noticed it missing. <laughs> it felt to me, anyways, that it was missing. I, I have an allergy, I think, to, to repeating lessons, and so I'm sort of self-conscious about that. But this is something worth repeating. This is something we come back to, again, not because, um, because of, it's who we are. We're talking about our identity. We are builders. That's why we're here. My dad, you guys know I love talking about my dad who passed away uh, several years ago. Uh, he was a builder. I cannot build anything with my hands. I'm not very good at handiwork. He was a carpenter by trade, and then he became a concrete contractor, and he was most comfortable when he was building. It's just when he felt at home. It wasn't, he was always uncomfortable. He was great at interacting with people, but uncomfortable with it. But man, if you gave him a hammer, you know, his, his hammer hanging from his, his uh, belt and, and give him a, a tape measure, he knew what he was doing. He was so comfortable. And I think at one point, he thought of me taking, joining the family business. And in a way, I feel like I have. In a way, I feel like we all are builders. But the building that we're going to do is going to last a lot longer than any brick-and-mortar structure we could create. Because what we do is people work. All of us as a church. We are building a house for God with living stones. That's how Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.5. All our work is people work. Even maintaining this building 
is people work. It's all about how do we bring more people to the gospel and build up the ones who found the Lord in the Lord. So today, we're going to this morning, we're going to spend some time thinking about this core aspect, refocusing on our mission. It's, it's a renewal of that personal and shared commitment to our why, to our purpose. And as we do, we're going to see these five actions that Nehemiah and the Jews took that we have to take if we're going to be successful in the work. And then tonight, we're going to resolve to overcome every obstacle. We're going to look at just an honest look. I mean, it's easy to to want to skip it, but an honest look at the obstacles we're facing, at the things this past year that have been challenges and roadblocks, the things right now, the things looking forward. And we're going to honestly acknowledge that Satan is going to continue to try to stop us from doing our work. It's going to happen. And so it takes a particular mindset a particular kind of faith, a kind of tenacity, a kind of commitment, and hope to keep going in the work. And one of the things specifically that I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to have for you all a question sheet. And I'm going to ask you a favor, and that is for you to, as we go through that question sheet together, think through what, where you are personally, you won't put your name on it, but think through where you are personally in sounding forth the word, in, in sharing the gospel. And think about what does get in the way of you sharing the gospel. What could this church do to equip you and strengthen and encourage you to better share the gospel? And that's going to hopefully not only be an introspective check-in with yourself, but also I'm going to ask you to put those in the box in the back. And it's going to inform my lessons throughout the year as I think about what, do we, what can help us as we try to do this work. And we'll, we'll look at uh, some of the other things we want to accomplish. And then next Sunday morning, one of my favorite lessons of the year, we're going to reaffirm our faith in the one who gives us success but the reason I love it so much as a lesson is because it's a chance to look back on the past year and to think about what work was done and what, how the Lord blessed our work. And you may have noticed in the back, we set up a table with these two questions. What is the work? What did you do for God last year? What did you see others do? That's our question number one. What is the work? What is the work of building? Like, what does it look like really? Like... Like you saw somebody visiting someone in the hospital. Or you saw uh, someone sitting down with children and teaching the gospel to them. Or, you know, what does it look like? What did you see happening? And what is success is the second question. What did God accomplish here last year? How did he bless our work? And the reason this is so important, it's not about patting ourselves on the back. The reason these two questions are so important is because if we don't stop and notice, then we don't give thanks. And if we don't give thanks for the way that God continues 
to strengthen us and support us in the work and accomplish things, we will lose our faith in the one who gives us success. We'll lose our faith that God is doing something. He is the senior partner in this project. He's the one that makes it happen. And the more we see him at work, the more willing we are to take on big and small, meaningful tasks and projects in his service. So I have another favor that I'm going to ask of you. Uh, in addition to filling this out in the back, and Adrian can help you, or I'll, I might be back there to help you if you, if you have some, something, just something specific that you can note that you saw happening and that brought success. If you have any pictures, because we love pictures, text them to me. Pictures of, pictures of a few people gathered together. Um, pictures of an event we had. Pictures of the work here. Pictures of, of uh, these kids down here, you know, together learning or whatever. And I, I'd encourage you to share those with me and I'll share them with others. So that's our plan. And uh, with that, I want to dive into five things we see Nehemiah and the Jews doing. And the first thing is we see that he cared about the work. Okay, so here's the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer of the king in Persia. Now let's go back several years, quite a few years before this. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586, 587 BC, just flattened, including the temple and the walls and everything else. Years later, the Persians defeat the Babylonians and send Jews, send the captives of the Babylonians back. And the Jews come back home, some of them, a remnant comes back to Jerusalem. And they build their homes and they build the temple. But whenever a, a, bre a brother comes to Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, he hears that there are no walls around the city. Well, what's the big deal about not having wall? I don't have, we don't have walls around Fort Wayne. What's the big deal? Well, back then, a city was completely vulnerable without walls and gates. Vulnerable to attacks in the night. I mean, just constantly vulnerable, not just from armies, but from robbers and thieves. This was how a city protected itself. And it was a source of pride or shame, the state of the walls and gates of a city. And so Nehemiah, as he heard, was heartbroken in Nehemiah chapter 1. Look with me at, at the book of Nehemiah and chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, as soon as I heard these words that the remnant uh, was of the wall of Jerusalem was broken down. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When was the last time something hit you so hard that you spent days mourning and praying and dare I say maybe fasting? What, what was the last time something truly broke your heart? In fact, what 
breaks your heart today? And maybe the bigger question is, does what breaks God's heart break your heart? Do you care? Do I care? How much do I really care? What breaks God's heart? Because I'll tell you, tell you what it is that saddens the Lord most is the idea of his children, his creation, his image bearers that he loves not being with him, being alienated from him, being alienated from his peace and his love and the everlasting life he wants to bring. And I, I have found that for me personally, it has been a journey to make myself vulnerable to being broken-hearted about the things that God, about anything, to be honest. It does not come naturally to me to be heartbroken. But I've been praying about it. As I've prayed these lessons over, over the years, I've been praying about it. And I think this is, this is an area we will be focusing on. I think we'll, we all can find room to love people enough so that their lostness is visible to us and matters deeply to us. So Nehemiah cared about the work, but secondly, he owned that work. We could care about the lost, right? It just comes back to loving your neighbor as yourself. But say, yeah, but that is somebody else's job. That, that, there's an old song. Everybody said that anybody could do the important work somebody should do. Everybody said that everybody should do all the good things that nobody did. <laughs> all the good things that nobody did. Because everybody was looking to the deacon and the preacher and the elders and that really spiritual sister that we know is great at evangelism and this isn't my gift and I'm an introvert or I, I don't have time for it or I, whatever it is, I don't have the Bible knowledge for it. And those are all valid things to think about and be concerned about, but they are not valid excuses for not telling your best friend about the gospel, telling the people in your life about the Lord. Right? We have to get to the point where we look at this and we say, wait a minute, maybe something here is mine to do. What do I want to do about this thing that breaks my heart? What Nehemiah did is he started praying and he prayed with a heart of confession. Beginning in, in verse 5, he says, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. He said, I and my people have acted corruptly against you. Is there something that you need to own and repent of, that I need to own and repent of, something that I haven't done that I know I should do. 
like everything in Scripture, the process for change starts with acknowledgement. The Bible calls it confession. Confessing to God, here's what I did. Here's what I should have done and I didn't, and I own that. That is true. You are right in saying that this is right, and I am wrong in not doing it. And repentance, which means changing, just changing our thinking on it. It's just a course correction. And I say just because it's simple to understand, but it is the hardest thing to do in all the world, is to repent. But this is what we are. We are repenters. <laughs> because when we get off track, what makes God's people different than everybody else is we come back to him and say, okay, not my will, but your will be done. Lead me to be better. I own, I have not been what I need to be. And I don't know if I can get there without you, Lord. Help me to be what you want me to be. And it doesn't mean you do everything. We all have different parts. We all have different things that we can do. But a good place to start is to own the work that is ours to do, to own the vision that Christ has given to the church, to say, I care about this, and I take responsibility for us as a church being a family where every member is cared for and belongs. I can't do everything, but I, I own that I am part of making this a reality. I own this vision that each member receives instruction and training to become more like Christ. Even if I'm not going to be a teacher, because that's not anything that I'm anywhere close to being ready for. I'm going to support this happening. And I'm going to find ways to own that this needs to be who we are. And this will sound familiar. This is where the theme comes from for this year. This vision that Christ has given his church that the word of the Lord sounds forth from this church. Not just to faraway lands, though that's important, but to the people at your school, your job, your family, the people around you, your neighbors across the street, that the word of the Lord reaches the lost. And that our guests feel at home among us. We work so hard to bring them in among us, to get them here, to get them to a Bible study, to get them to a, a social gathering that we have somewhere. And then whenever they come, do they feel like, boy, I do not belong here. I'm, nobody has talked to me for, for this whole time. Or do they feel at home so that they can learn of Christ and want to return? And finally, Having meaningful assemblies. We need to own all of us. One of the things I was thinking about this morning as we are doing this talk on speaking and on preaching uh, in the back, our class, is how much working on preaching has changed how I listen to everybody who's leading a thoughts up here. It changes it. it. It helps me to tune in because I realize this is a dialogue. And so your part in having a meaningful assembly Maybe you never say amen and you sing quietly, but you are tuned in. And you're going to, you take seriously what the Lord wants to happen when we come together. It's, everything we do is in God's service, but this is an important moment from his leadership and command of us. We're purposeful and thoughtful about all we do when we come together, considering how to stir one another up and honor God. But, you know, after he owned this, he began planning. What, what happens here is really interesting. It starts with 
I think maybe God providentially helped him get to this ownership because he's so sad, but he hasn't decided, it seems, what he's going to do about it. And then a, an influence that you wouldn't expect asks him a question. The king of Persia looks at the cupbearer and says, why is your face downcast? Okay, so you got to step back for a minute and realize that was a misstep. This is like cupbearer 101. You don't make the king sad. The cupbearer was this important, close associate with the king. I don't know how best to compare it. Sometimes I've I thought of it as somewhere between uh, a butler and the secret, you know, the, the secret service agent that's right next to you and a chief of staff that's standing there at your side that you can think through things with. I mean, he is the, the protection line between the king and anybody who wants to poison him. He is the one who is with the king at every meal. And the king cares about him. And he says, why are you so sad? Verse 12, I'm sorry. And, and so earlier here in chapter 2, um, he says, it says, he prayed to the God of heaven. This is the same verse as when the king asks him, what are you requesting? It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may be may rebuild it. And he asks, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me when it was given to him a time. See, at some point, what he needed to do had to go from something he cared about to an actual plan of action. When are you going to do this? How long do you need? Because we're talking about real life things getting done. And though our priorities are spiritual, they're still real-life tasks that take planning and thought and time and energy and prayer. Notice that he didn't, I don't, I don't think he said, hold on, king, before I answer you, let me get down on my knees and I have a whole process of prayer. He said one of those arrow prayers sometimes people talk about. Please, God, help me through this. And then he spoke. And so our work is constantly through prayer. Each conversation you have with someone in your life has prayer built into it, I hope. You know, prayer is always having God on speakerphone. He's listening all the time. And so we pray without ceasing, not because we never take a pause to do something else, but because it's continuous all the time. And it supports our, prayer, our, our work. But then after he does makes this plan with the king, then he goes in the night, in verses 12 to 16, and before anybody knows what he's going to do, he looks at the city and he surveys, where does the wall need rebuilt? What's going on here? And after he's looked at everything in the night, then he comes to speak to the people about his plan. This is a pretty important step. I think a lot of people skip this step of thinking about what needs to be done and what is the best 
way to do it. And this, this is something that we spend time on here. We spend time thinking about what is the best way to run our assemblies. We're working really hard. We're under construction. We're working really hard this year to figure out what are some ways we can take a leap forward in our evangelism. Our deacons are constantly planning the work that are, is assigned to them. Our teachers constantly planning. I mean, we almost all of our curriculums for uh, junior high on up are developed custom. We're constantly planning what is needed for this group. Our elders are planners. And sometimes, sometimes we don't see what's going on. Sometimes we don't know when things are being talked about and planned in the night. Like Nehemiah is going around the city and looking. But our, our leaders have to uh, learn from the example of Nehemiah, right? And plan and think about carefully the best way to do things. And then you present it. And then you lead. And then he encouraged the work. And this is really the heart of this lesson. In chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. Let us build. Those two words, let us, are so important in Scripture. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. God has been working with me in this. That's why I'm here. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us arise and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. So first Nehemiah says, let's build. And then the people, like imagine this, picture this, are saying to each other, Let's do this thing. Let's rise up and build. You know? You know, Diane is, is saying to Tim, and Riley is, is saying to Adrian, and Adrian is saying to Amy, hey, let's build. Let's get up. Let's strengthen our hands and work because we will need some encouragement to get this work done. It is, there is few things more discouraging or difficult then putting yourself out there to speak the gospel to someone and having it rejected or to strengthen a brother and having that not, not be, there's just challenges and obstacles. There's critics. There's difficulties everywhere. And we are going to need encouragement. And so scripture constantly said, let us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul says, Therefore, having a diversity of gifts, let us edify one another. Let us build. Let us work. The New Testament is full of let us. In Hebrews 10, famously, 19 to, to 25, we're told as, that we'll draw near, and then it says to, to let us... Um, let us consider 
how we may stimulate one another to love and good works. Let us encourage each other. We're going to need it. We need each other. What will stir us to good works? And finally, I know it seems obvious, but we've got to work the work. Like, they didn't just say, let us arise and build. Like, this is, this, most of the stuff I'm saying in this sermon is obvious, and you know it already. But they strengthened their hands to do the good works. Not just our mouths, but our hands. We've got to work to do. There's so much to do. There's so much to do. Boy, we, we made like a big list of things to do, didn't we, in the last few years? And we're still, we're still getting our arms around everything. And things keep moving forward. But man, there's so much still to do. And we can't do, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> our elders can't do it. Our deacons, we all are going to be needed to do it. And so we work the work. And one of the things that this looks like is each of us thinking about what's mine to do. You have something to do that's different than me. What? Look around at who you have influence on. Think about what you see as a need that no one else seems to be emphasizing like they probably should. Think about what your opportunities are. Think about what your gifts are. And you have them. And this is easier said than done, but we're going to keep saying it. Everyone gets a job. In Nehemiah, in chapter 3, each part of the wall had a family associated with it. There was not, it was not the builders that built. The bakers became builders. The warriors became builders. Everybody is a builder. And so we all find our spot on the wall. And we work the wall. We work it together. And one of the things, we, we were just blessed here recently with, um, with Abby and Skylar coming here and saying, we want to, how do we say it whenever somebody, somebody decides to be part of the church? We want to work with you. We want to work with this church. Whenever somebody comes to work with us, we need to give them work to work with us. And it's not because, you know, we want to lay some burden on people. We will not live in Christ like we are meant to live in Christ if we don't have work to do. We all need to know that we are contributors. We all need to know we have a place in the work of God. Whenever somebody comes out of the waters of baptism, they need a job. And again, this is, this is part of what the teams are about. This is part of something that the elders I know are all the time thinking about. It, it happens in a lot of different ways. Sometimes you're given a job. And I would encourage you, if somebody comes to you and asks, would, would you be willing to help with this, that you give it some serious consideration don't make your default answer no. I'm not saying you have to do it. But man, really think about, I, I should do this. Sometimes you invent the job yourself. Sometimes you find the thing that needs to do doing and you go do it. 
Sometimes you go and you find the deacon in charge of the thing and say, hey, I was thinking of doing this. You think this is appropriate? You know, would the elders be good with this? Whatever it is, we have to all find a place to work. When we do that, we see this beautiful picture that comes about, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, verse 16. He says that when this happens, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The people said, let us. And the Bible constantly says, let us. There's one last let us. It's, you might have noticed it if you were in our Revelation study. In Revelation 19, there is a let us at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let us rejoice, it says. We're here at the wedding feast of the Lamb. It says, because the bridegroom has been brought together with, his, with the bride who has made herself ready. Made herself pure and ready. That is, that is a let us, we'll say to each other. That is a let us that I want to enjoy. Let us rejoice in the presence of our King. And, and don't we want to take as many people to that wedding feast with us?